This episode was recorded pre-COVID at the Atlanta Innocence Network Conference in 2019. On April 5th, 1985, a woman was exiting her car in a parking lot just north of Atlanta when a man approached, asking about a woman named Carol. When he got close enough, he pulled a gun, forced her into the passenger seat, drove to a dead end, and proceeded to rape her. After the attack, the victim went to the hospital for a rape kit. With a well-lit parking lot and over 45 minutes with her attacker, she was able to put together a composite sketch. On April 10th, a near-identical incident occurred along the same stretch of road. A man approached a woman in a parking lot asking for Carol before using a threat of violence to get her back into the car. However, this time, the victim was able to talk the attacker into leaving before a rape occurred. Police showed this would-be victim the composite sketch and it appeared there was a serial rapist operating in the North Atlanta area. Then, on April 28th, Willie Pete Williams, along with two of his friends, were stopped by police for suspicious behavior in the area of the attacks. Police noticed that Pete resembled the sketch and came up with a reason to arrest him, saying that he gave them false information in order to bring him in to be photographed. His photo was shown to both women for a positive ID. While Pete was locked up, three more attacks would occur with the same M.O., but it was already too late. Pete Williams spent nearly 22 years in prison before DNA testing proved that another man was responsible for all five attacks. This is Wrongful Conviction with Jason Plum. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. This episode is going to be a very unique one. We have with us Pete Williams, who served 22 years in Georgia prisons for a rape he did not commit. Two rapes, actually, they did not commit. And with him is Drew Feindling, who is a, what can I say, enigmatic character. Famous for his work representing some of the top hip-hop artists in the world, and, and he's also now the president of the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. He got involved in criminal defense work because of Pete's case, but they never met until today. Correct. So this is going to be a fun ride, and I'm excited to be on it. So Pete, welcome, and same to you, Drew. Absolutely. And like I always say, Pete, I'm, I'm sorry you're here, but I'm glad you're here. And I want to tell your story because I think it's an important story for a lot of reasons. I guess that at the heart of it is a mistaken eyewitness identification, more than one, actually. And it's a really important thing for us to talk about because it's so common. But can you take us back to, I mean, this is a long time ago, right? Because you were exonerated in 2007. Yes. With the help of the Innocence Project. So this crime goes all the way back to the mid-80s, right? Yeah, 85, 85. And... What were you up to back then? What was your life like? What was going on in, in Pete's world? Mostly I was working. Uh, I had dropped out of school. Really didn't have much going on other than freedom. How old were you? I just had turned 23. So you're 23. You got charged with originally one rape, right? Yeah, one rape at the time. And let's talk about this awful rape which occurred on April 5th, 1985, which is when a woman arrived at her apartment complex parking lot along Roswell Road just north of Atlanta, got out, but she got out, a man approached pretending that he was looking for someone, but when he got close, he pulled a gun and forced her back into the car, then drove her at gunpoint to a dead-end street where he raped her. Then he drove her back to her apartment complex, and then he left on foot. So the victim then went to the police and the hospital for a rape kit, which means there was a sample of the rapist's DNA, and that becomes important later because, after all, there was no DNA testing back in 1985 anyway. So later on, though, we're going to get to that. So by now, the victim had spent a considerable amount of time with her attacker, and as a result, she was able to help the police put together a composite sketch. And this attacker had a particular M.O., too. Can you talk about that, Drew? Yeah, so what had happened is Roswell Road is a very long stretch of road in Atlanta. I want to say it goes north and south, but I'm terrible with things like that. But the real rapist was trolling up and down Roswell Road, and he would go to women, and I, they, I think they would kind of be in their 20s, and they had, like, blonde yeah, hair. Blonde hair. And, yeah, right, yeah. blonde hair, and he would say the same, like, have you seen, and I used to know the name. Carol. I think Carol. Carol. Yeah, have you seen Carol? And then he'd take him in the car. Right, so five days after the first rape on April 10th, nearly the same thing occurred along Roswell Road, although this ended up being an attempted rape, but still the same, hey, do you know Carol or where's Carol? Except the second victim, when he tried to get her to take off her clothes, I don't know how, but she was able to talk him out of raping her. She went to the police. They hear this similar MO from just five days before, and they show her the composite sketch, and she agreed that this sketch resembled her would-be rapist. So, Pete, you've got nothing to do with this. You had nothing to do with this, but you lived in the area. So can you tell us how you were dragged into this when you and two friends got pulled over on Roswell Road one night? I was 
riding out around Roswell, and uh, and it was stopping my car. It was stopped. I was passing another car, so it was a composite sketch going around in that area. So the way that they arrested me, they told that I gave them false information. That's just to get me there and get my photograph, my picture, to show the witness. Because I gave them information while I was staying. Everything was adequate. Oh, you gave them accurate information? They yes, said it was false. of course, yeah. Oh, and they said, it was, yeah, they said it was false. So, you know, I couldn't all get the police. So, so you're, you're stopped by the police. They have this composite sketch in the back of their minds, and they come up with a reason. They said that you gave them false information, which wasn't true, but they wanted an excuse to get your photograph to share with these two women because they thought that you looked enough like the sketch, so they arrested you. Then what? I was there for a while. I was there maybe about four or five hours, but it was a rather cheap bond, you know, so I was bond out maybe three to four hours after I was arrested. And two weeks later, I was told I was raped, aggravated assault, and aggravated sodomy, and I was arrested. And I didn't know what they was talking about. Had you even heard about these? I didn't have the slightest idea. They said it was composite circulating of a rapist out in that area. And I resemble it. Now, did that sketch actually resemble you? Yeah, it, it actually did. All right, so so you resembled the sketch. So that was that. I didn't, you know, I didn't. I haven't raped anybody. I just resembled the composite sketch. The sketch resembled you, and then I'm presuming you were identified as well yeah. in, in the lineup or in court? Uh, it was a lineup, and I was identified uh, during the trial as well. I mean, we know that... Eyewitness misidentification is the leading cause of wrongful convictions. And, and look, I'm just not the biggest believer in the composite sketch because the composite sketch becomes the perpetrator, not the perpetrator. And so it just happened to have favored him. And then it's the composite sketch and anybody that looks like them that replaces who the actual perpetrator is. So I'm just not a believer in the whole composite sketch thing. I just don't like where they lead as in convictions of innocent people in cases like this. So the charges were rape, aggravated assault, and aggravated sodomy. And Drew, this is where you first entered the picture. You became aware of Pete's case. And this is at his trial where you were just a young man, just out of law school pretty much, right? At the time, I was 25 years old. I was fresh out of law school. And I was an assistant public defender assigned to Mr. Williams' courtroom where his case took place. And, you know, I made it my, my practice then to just watch every case I could. And I just gobbled it up, and I loved my job as a public defender, and I just happened to watch his case. And then really started learning about it, and I watched the trial. So what had happened is Roswell Road is a very long stretch of road in Atlanta. But at some point along the road, um, it is the city of Atlanta, and then it's no longer the city of Atlanta. Well, the real rapist because it wasn't Mr. Williams. Anybody that watched the trial would realize that, because I watched the trial, and I'll talk about that later, and it was obvious he was innocent. So, Jason, here's the crazy thing. One jurisdiction handling it was City of Atlanta Police. On the other part of the road was Fulton County Police. To this day, I don't know if anybody's looked into, did they ever talk to one another? And in fact, if you remember, on the City of Atlanta side, the City of Atlanta Police called the person the Roswell Road Rapist. But yet, on the other side of the sign was this case involving Mr. Williams. And 
apparently he got arrested and then eventually they arrested the other guy who I think pled out. His, yeah, he pled out. Your case was on the ninth floor. Mm-hmm. His case was on the seventh floor. Um, eighth or the seventh. He was yeah. on the seventh. I remember. He had that. Yeah, he was on I the was seventh. On the you were on the eighth. You're yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he pled out during his trial. And I went and watched his also because the public defender's office uh, did that case. Wait, how, how far apart were the two different? I can't remember the dates. They weren't too far apart. But I watched his and I read up on his and I was like, well, this guy did it. And it was astonishing. And let's go back to the pattern, right? Because for whatever reason, the attacker always did the same damn thing. He, maybe he thought that, that this was an effective way of him grabbing these women was by asking about this other woman, Carol or Carolyn, why he was fixated Scare. on that. Yeah. yeah, but that was his thing. And he also had this car that broke down a lot because a number of the women reported that. And what's crazy is that after Pete was arrested, three more attacks happened with the same damn M.O., right? Exactly yes. right. With exactly the same pattern, the exact same pattern. And in fact, this man was responsible clearly for all five attacks, but he only faced charges related to those three. And so the other two attacks were pinned on you, Pete. And this other guy, Kenneth Wicker, he finally got caught because his last victim heroically was able to take down her attacker's license plate number. And it turned out that Wicker lived right along Roswell Road, where all of these attacks were taking place. So it would seem obvious to the casual observer that the DA would hear about these other cases and this other arrest and immediately stop focusing on you, Pete. But that's not what happened. And later, all of this was brought up in your appeals. And I'm talking as early as 1986. But the DA just didn't fucking care about it then or while he was prosecuting you in the first place. So, Jason, Pete and I, we just met downstairs and we immediately engaged in a conversation about what I'm about to bring up, which has bothered him to this day. And I'm going to tell it to you. And that is our system right, relies on ethical prosecutors. Um, Unfortunately for Pete Williams, um, his prosecutor uh, turned out to be not so ethical, um, as we know from several things, including the fact that he's serving a life sentence in his own murder case right now. The prosecutor. The prosecutor. Oh, blot twist. Yes. (laughs) I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, And was um, also eventually charged not only with that murder, which he was found guilty of, but being the lawyer for a drug operation. Um, when he was in private practice. So not the best guy in the world. And and I bring that up only because you would fathom that a decent ethical prosecutor, which there are many of out there, would have realized this, having been the lead prosecutor in Mr. Williams' case, and said, uh-oh, we got problems. Um, and that never happened. He never had the ethics of a prosecutor that realized what you just said and wanted to put an, an end to his illegal incarceration. It just didn't happen. And um, there was a real breakdown. Yeah, I'm still trying to process this. Um, this is a story. I've heard a lot of stories and, you know, doing this since the early 90s. The irony is, Pete said to me outside, we, we agreed. How come that didn't become the biggest part of the story of Pete Williams' illegal conviction and incarceration? And as he said, I was serving my sentence and my prosecutor was serving his sentence at the exact same time. Yeah, exact same time. Oh, so he went to prison while you were in prison, yeah, but not, not the same prison. Not, not the same prison, but he went during my incarceration. 
Did you know that at the time? Yeah, I followed his, his uh, on television. Jason was one of the biggest um, cases in the history of Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't even think in, in my 30-plus years of practice of a federal case that they changed venue. It was such a big case, but they actually had to change venue to Birmingham in his federal case. His murder case, they changed venue as well and did it somewhere in the woods, I don't know, rural Georgia somewhere. Um, but they actually moved his federal case to Birmingham because they just couldn't get a jury in Atlanta. Fred Tokars is his name. It was one of the biggest cases in the history of Atlanta. So I took a second to look up Fred Tokars, and what I found out was batshit crazy. Crazier than what Pete and Drew had said. This Georgia prosecutor went on to become a private attorney to some big-time drug dealers. But besides representing them, he was also helping them hide their money in nightclubs. And eventually, his wife Sarah threatened to blow the whistle on his illegal and nefarious activities. But instead of turning his life around, he plotted to have her kidnapped and killed in front of their four- and six-year-old boys, Ricky and Mike. I mean, what the actual fuck? He was convicted of racketeering in 1994 and eventually also convicted for Sarah's murder, receiving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. He was held in secret custody as a marked man. And since this interview is recording, despite his more treacherous than usual situation in prison, Fred Tokers died in May of 2020 in a Pennsylvania prison hospital due to complications related to a neurological disorder. And that was the prosecutor that put Mr. Williams away. So, I mean, it's just an unbelievable twist of fate, right? That the guy who was responsible for ruining your life ends up an inmate. The Pacers Foundation is a proud supporter of this episode and of the Last Mile organization, which provides business and tech training to help incarcerated individuals successfully and permanently re-enter the workforce. The Pacers Foundation is committed to improving the lives of Hoosiers across Indiana, supporting organizations dedicated primarily to helping young people and students. For more information on the work of the Pacers Foundation or the Last Mile program, visit pacersfoundation.org or thelastmile.org. This episode is sponsored by AIG, a leading global insurance company, and Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison, a leading international law firm. The AIG Pro Bono Program provides free legal services and other support to many nonprofit organizations and individuals most in need. And recently, they announced that working to reform the criminal justice system will become a key pillar of the program's mission. Paul Weiss, has long had an unwavering commitment to providing impactful pro bono legal assistance to the most vulnerable members of our society and in support of the public interest, including extensive work in the criminal justice area. You end up getting sentenced to basically a life sentence. Yeah, 45 years. 45 years to life. Yeah, and you were 24 at the time? 23. Yeah, so... 45 to life, and of course 45 to life really means life because yeah. ultimately you'd be 68 years old and they'd be asking you to plead guilty, yeah. And, and the way they had my sentence uh, lined up, 15, 10, and 20, I do the 15, once I do the 15, do the 10, I finish the 10, I do the 20. It was consecutive sentences. Mm-hmm. 
So how did you deal with this? I mean, you're behind bars, a convicted rapist, looking at spending your the rest of your life there. How did you find the strength to even continue on and ultimately contact and reach out and get this incredible team behind you that led to your exoneration and, you know, vindication? Mm. Well, my first 10 years of prison, man, I was in the whole segregation. I fought all the time in subordination because I felt like there was no hope. So I might as well be part of the prison, you know. And I met this guy after 10 years. He sung gospel. He always went to church. And he was always happy, you know, and, and he had more time than that. He had a license, but he's never showed it. He never showed it. And I wanted to know why, you know, why it wasn't about it. He said, the church, man, I sang that gospel, and it makes me feel better. So I used to go out and sing at first because I really didn't know any gospels. You know what I mean? But once I got to going and listening to gospel, I learned a few gospel songs, and I started liking it, and I became part of the choir for about five years. And that's where a guy was in there. He had a booklet concerning Emerson Project. So I got it, and I started writing him and told him that it was, I had some uh, evidence. Was this Georgia Emerson Project or New York? In Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, and they got concerned, so what kind of evidence you had? So I was writing them, and I told them. And some way they got a hold to it. They said they had destroyed it here in what, 87. They said they destroyed all that. But Cliff, some way Cliff had talked to some at the GBI bill, some female, and she allowed him back there. And lo and behold, that was my uh, evidence. And the evidence at the Georgia Bureau of Investigation that Pete is referring to is the real rapist DNA sample from the rape kit. And they were finally able to test it to not only exclude Pete, but they also tested it against the DNA of the man who had pleaded guilty to those other rapes that had happened during the same time period along Roswell Road. And sure enough, bingo, it's him. But of course, this incredible revelation did not come without roadblocks. And even being told that the evidence was destroyed, which we hear a lot when fighting cases like these. And Drew, let's go, let's go back to you on this. It's, it's, I mean, it's just nuts that we don't have a nationwide standard for maintaining evidence. In fact, practices are different all over. Some are good, and some are like, let's face it, like a third world country. There's really no national consistency. And, and so, you know, when you say earlier, which I completely agree with, that we probably have well over 100,000 innocent people in our in our prison systems and and that's probably a low number we think about if we had consistency in the preservation of evidence what we would we'd be able to do it's really going to require a, a coordinated effort but it's the only right thing to do there's just absolutely no argument against it there's nothing bad about preserving evidence well there's there's nothing bad about preserving evidence but then you hear about the Georgia Innocence Project I, I went down to to Macon on behalf of them and argued about just having somebody's testing done and prosecutors objected to testing being done. Why would you ever object to testing being done? Why would you ever object to being able to check off the list the possibility that somebody innocent is in jail for many years, if not their life? And it's that same type of flawed logic 
um, that would have some say, well, we don't need to take up the room, we don't need to do, the logistics aren't there for storage. You could just fathom the arguments that are coming, you know, because prosecutors want to believe and law enforcement want to believe that once they have a conviction, it's the right conviction. And so you're going to always deal with that sentiment, which is wrong. Yeah. But that's the sentiment. It's the same sentiment that dictates around the country when good folks are, are, are fighting on behalf of the Innocence Project to have testing done, and they're in courtrooms at the podium facing prosecutors that don't want testing to be done. To me, why would you want to destroy evidence that can free a person? Yeah. Oh, and identify the actual perpetrator like it does. I don't even know what to think of that. Oh. Really, I don't. Thank God they hadn't actually destroyed the evidence from your case because they it actually exculpated you and it ended up causing you to be released from prison on January 23rd, 2007. And subsequently, it matched up to Kenneth Wicker, who had already pleaded guilty all those years ago. He was then arrested on February 9th, 2007 for the April 5th and 10th incidents. Then four days later, you were granted a new trial on February 13th, and the DA subsequently dropped all charges. Dropped all charges. You know, they uh, took that uh, rape and everything away from my record. So you were in court when all the charges were? Actually dropped, yeah. And what was that like? How, who was there? A lot of family? Was it a hot? Yeah, you, my, family, my family there. You know, there was a lot of people, you know. They was happy for me, you know. Even people I didn't know. You know, like even the police is, and as a matter of fact, one of the police that was used to take me back and forth to court, and she came down and said, I, I, I always knew you was innocent. Wow. How'd that feel? Just wonderful, man. Wonderful. And um, it's worth noting that in about 50% of the Innocence Project cases where DNA has, yes. has exculpated and exonerated, led to the exoneration of an innocent person, it has also led to the identification of the guilty person. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And in those cases, of course, um, that person has gone on to have committed other heinous crimes. Yes. When you lock up the wrong person, you stop looking for the right person. And then that person that's out there is most likely going to go and do what they did again. It's just a, a practical issue of we should all want to clean up these systems as best we can so that our ourselves and our, our, our families are safe. I mean, well, you know, look, J Jason, I, I think it's it's symptomatic of, of a larger issue. It's, it's symptomatic of, of our of our problem with mass incarceration of this country. I, I think it's um, all that is really tied in. Um, we, we don't as defense attorneys and accused citizens, you know, we don't control the fact that, um, as you well know, we represent five percent of the world's population, but closing in on 25 percent of the world's incarcerated population. We don't dictate that. And I don't want this to be a session where I'm, you know, kind of talking about prosecutors, but they control so much. Pete's case is emblematic of the problem. You had a prosecutor with an antisocial disorder that went on to be involved in a murder himself. And as a as a 25 year old fresh out of law school kid, I watched what I thought was an unethical prosecution. And I watched a man lose his freedom because to this prosecutor, it was a game. It wasn't about justice. And that's why, Pete, I made a decision that I was gonna spend the rest of my life defending people because of your case. It was just a job at that point. I didn't know anything about a public defender. I never even met a lawyer until my first law school class. I have humble beginnings. But your, your case dictated to me what I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing.
the best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I watched that prosecutor game the system. It was just a game to him. And, and unfortunately, the power that being a prosecutor brings is often results in misguided prosecutions because they have the ability, if they handle it ethically, to make sure, to the best of their ability, that this doesn't happen, to make sure that evidence is preserved, to make sure that there is proper identification procedures, and they have the ability to be that wall, that last wall of justice to say, you know, I don't, I don't need a motion to suppress identification because as the prosecutor, I don't like the way this went down. We talk so much about ourselves as defense attorneys and what our job is, but we need to be spending a lot of time looking at the other side of the courtroom. And I get that there's integrity units closing up, but it needs to be a lot greater than that. It needs to be a lot better than just every once in a while a progressive prosecutor running for office. It needs to be all over the country because he has the benefit of this happening in Atlanta. But when we go to the rural South, the smaller communities in Mississippi, in Alabama, in Tennessee, sadly, there's a, a lot of, of Pete Williams that are serving life sentences 
um, from from prosecutors that were as misguided and as corrupt as the one in his case. And that's why it's so important for people to get out and vote in prosecutor races because most people don't. The, the number of people that vote in these races is so small that if you don't think your vote makes a difference, it does. I mean, we've seen races that ended up in a dead heat, like tied. You know, like your vote is important. And if you're one of those people who thinks, oh, I'm not going to vote in the presidential election, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It matters in the presidential election, but it matters a lot more in your local elections where your, your DA is running um, and, you know, and electing a, a, a progressive prosecutor, which that's not even the right word, a fair prosecutor. I agree. Could affect your life as well, because this could happen to you. It could ha happen to Pete. It could happen to anybody. We see it over and over again on this show. And then let's even talk about it from a purely fiscal level. You know, for any conservatives that are listening, when we think about the amount of money that the taxpayers of Georgia paid well upwards of a million dollars, probably closer to two million dollars to keep Pete locked up, and then any other income that he would have been able to earn and pay taxes on and, you know, all the rest of the stuff. That's a pretty big thing, too. I just learned the other day on a tangential note that we spend $40 million a day in America on pretrial detention, right? Just because people can't post bail, $40 million a day to lock people up who haven't been convicted of anything. That's a day. That's your tax dollars at work and mine, by the way, and whoever's listening. It's nuts. I mean, we lock up more people than Russia and China combined, back to your previous point. Yep. We lock black people up at six times the rate of South Africa at the height of apartheid. And if you're a, a, a woman listening, then you should just process this for a second, because while you know what Drew said is, is certainly scary and true about us having 25% of the world's prison population, we have 33% of the world's female prison population. That means one out of every three women in prison in the world is in America, which is such a small country when you look at the vast world that's out there. And the more we can do to, to get out there and, and spread the message, and the more you do to get out there and vote and get active and volunteer, go to Georgia Innocence Project website, you know, learn more, contact NACDL. What is it? NACDL.org? Exactly. NACDL.org. That's National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers.org. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up kind of where people fall on the political uh, continuum. You should know that the term just finished, and there's a new governor here, but our last governor, Nathan Deal, was a Republican, two-term Republican, and uh, the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers gave him a champion. I gave him a champion, a justice award for his work on criminal justice reform. And so you hit on it. No matter where you are, left wing, right wing, no wing, we are in a period of time right now where people are really focusing on criminal justice reform. And I think that you bring up all the numbers, they're, they're startling and it can impact anybody, you know, whether it's the fact that our prison systems are warehousing the mentally ill and an adult autistic population. Um, there's so many things that, that attract people. Um, the, the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, um, we, as you know, we have our foundation for criminal justice, and we really embrace non-lawyers to be part of it. Our long-term goal is to get non-lawyers into our leadership track, um, let them be trustees. We need people to reach out to us. We just want everyday citizens to be involved, come to our meetings. And Jason's right. There may not be an election that may impact your life more than who your local district attorney is. Have them answer to your questions. Folks need to take these stories to heart, and which is why this podcast is so important. They need to understand that not everybody is going to be blessed with the opportunity to connect up with the Innocence Project. So listen to podcasts like this and, and get involved the most you can. 
Um, and that is, once again, NACDL.org, National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. Now we have this tradition at Wrongful Conviction, which is um, my favorite part of the show, which is where I get to just sit back and listen. And uh, I leave the microphones on for you guys for any closing thoughts that you want to share. And because Pete is the honored guest here, not that you're not, but you know, he's the star of the show. I'm going to let him go last. And so, Drew, any parting shots? Pete, I just want to uh, uh, wish you the best and uh, let, let you know that uh, the tragedy that occurred to you um, influenced the course of my existence. So, uh, my family, all my clients, I want to hug you. Oh, I'm glad y'all had this broadcast to to let people know that things like this actually happen. People do go to jail wrongfully convicted. And I'm just glad you all let the public know that these things actually happen. Don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. And I'm a proud donor to the Innocence Project, and I really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions. Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer, Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number 1. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.